All righty, go ahead, open up your Bibles. We're gonna be in Luke chapter two. Glasses would be helpful for me before I get started here. Luke chapter two. We live in a highly fast-paced world, don't we? Things seem to just fly by, and one of the skills that modern fast-paced people like us have lost is the ability to wait patiently. I know I have lost that skill, and uh, you know, we, we can't wait on anything. I can barely wait 30 seconds for a, a reheated lunch to get ready in the microwave. Uh, we can't wait on little things like traffic lights and uh, yeah, traffic throughout Chicago. We have a way of losing our patience very quickly with that. I know I don't have patience for a commercial anymore. If I'm watching something that now has commercials in it, I say, why is there a commercial in the thing I'm trying to watch? We, we can't wait just a few seconds. But that actually plays out in a lot of more uh, meaningful ways than just not being able to wait through a commercial. Many of us don't know how to wait for God. Many of us don't know how to wait on God. Many of us are so distracted and so having lost the skill to be patient that we talk about waiting as a church. I've given two sermons over the last two weeks about praying the promises of God and the attributes of God. And part of praying those promises and attributes is learning how to then wait patiently for God to reveal those things to you over time. Over years. We have a hard time waiting 15 seconds. And so the, the impatience that we've developed as a society has snuck into the church. And what's happening is it's, in, it's influencing our faith in such a way that we, we no longer know how to just wait and, and, and wait effectively for God to do the thing he said he was gonna do. And so I wanna just ask you very simply this morning, when you really ask the Lord, if you were to be honest right now, what are you waiting on in the Lord? We've talked about the promises of God. We know that there is a future that God has promised, and so every faithful follower of Jesus is waiting on very fixed promises that will certainly come. But then there are all other kinds of prayers that we're praying. Many of you are gonna have those prayers right in front of your eyes in the coming weeks as you visit with family, and you think of those you love that are hurting or are lost. Many countless prayers you've prayed for people in one way or another, and you're gonna see them this week. And the question I have is, what are you waiting on for the Lord right now? And do you know how to wait as a faithful follower of Jesus? Because it's different. It's not just, it's not just applying the same way you used to wait and then just saying, okay, I just gotta wait. No, no, there's something Christians do that's a biblical form of waiting that's very effective, not only in forming faith in your own life, but then in actually seeing the results of what you're waiting for come to fruition. Today we come across this wonderful scene in the birth narrative of Christ. It's, it's just this precious scene. It takes place 40 days after the birth of Jesus. 40 days was the exact number of days that was prescribed in the Mosaic Law for when a woman who had given birth to a son had to then go and make an offering to the Lord. And so this takes place Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus on the 40th day after his birth to make the offering that was required in the Mosaic law. And as they walk into the temple precinct, they come across two senior citizens. This is a um, somewhat of a strange moment in the birth narrative of Christ. We, we've come across a handful of scenes uh, so far. Next, next Sunday, we'll look at another scene as uh, the shepherds come and the angels proclaim the birth of Jesus. But here we meet two 
just older folks. One woman who's 84, Anna, at least 84, maybe older. And then another gentleman who we don't know how old, but both of them are, are quite old. And they're patient waiting over many years on the promises that God had made to them. And they're then seeing the promise of the, the, the infant Christ coming into the temple precinct and what that must have meant for them. So I want to read this story to us of these two wonderful elderly saints. And then I want to ask, what can we learn from them about waiting patiently on God this Christmas? Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, quote, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that, so the, that thoughts from many hearts might be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and praying night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. The word of the Lord. Two wonderful saints. What do they have to teach us about waiting on God faithfully? Let me see if I can draw out four lessons for us. Number one, waiting on God requires obedience to God. Waiting on God requires obedience to God. Look at the description we get of Simeon in verse 25. It tells us, when they come to Simeon, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was righteous and devout. Get the scene here. Mary and Joseph are coming into the temple. There's all kinds of people around. Now, the temple is a huge structure, and on the outside of it is the court of the Gentiles, this big entryway where hundreds and hundreds of people were busy. There were, there were money changers there. There were people selling all kinds of animals. There were wild animals all around. The religious leaders were coming and going. This was a busy place in one of the busiest cities in the world at the time, in Jerusalem. And here's this one couple, Mary and Joseph, and Simeon has been waiting his whole life to see this, this savior that was promised to him. And then he sees Mary and Joseph off in the distance. Now, what we know about the day-in, day-out life of him is that he was righteous and devout. Righteous, what does that mean? To be righteous, it doesn't mean that he was a perfect person. 
No, that's not the way that word is used when talking about someone besides Jesus. Every single person ever born was born into original sin. And so Simeon had a heart like you and I. There was a default position of wickedness in his heart that he needed God to remove from him. And then at the same time, he was guilty of sin, just like you and I. And yet he's described as righteous, which means that he was a godly man who had a general setting for his life that he desired to honor God with his actions. He wanted to follow the law of God. He wanted to be obedient to God. He delighted in God's law. He delighted in God's word. This was an obedient man. He was pursuing rightness, righteousness by God's standard. But then he was also devout. He was devout. Now that word has a couple senses to it. One word you might translate that is pious or reverent. The most common way that word is translated is God-fearing. He was a God-fearing man. There was a sense about Simeon that he had a gravity to him. You ever meet a man or a woman? There's a gravity of faith about them that just it exudes from, that you can't help but just notice when you're in their presence. This is someone who's very near to the Lord. There's a gravity to them. This is the kind of man that Simeon was. He delighted in God's law. I think of Psalm 119, verses 97 to 99. I think of Simeon saying these words often. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it's ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. He was righteous, and he was devout. He sought God's law, and he did it with a gravity about him. Is that you? We're learning how to wait on God patiently. Simeon waited years and years, just this this humble life. There's this humble life. We would never have known about him had it not been for this moment that Luke, Luke chose to put into here. But what we know about him was he was a righteous man and a devout man. There's a wonderful little short book called The Great Gain of Godliness by Thomas Watson. What a great title for a book, The Great Gain of Godliness. And uh, in The Great Gain of Godliness, there's this one section where he lists out um, all the ways that the Lord records your godly living. He goes through all these verses in the Bible and he he says, don't forget the Lord is watching your life and he's taking note of the way you live a godly life. Let me give you a handful of them. He lists, I think, 10 of them. I'm gonna give you six. The Lord records your godly conversations. Isn't that interesting? Malachi 3.16, I have too many verses. These aren't all gonna come up behind me right now. I'm just gonna read them to you. Malachi 3.16, those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written. The Lord hears all those little godly conversations you have where you're stirring each other up and and you're you're counseling somebody and you have someone over in your living room and you're praying with them and, and and you're opening scripture. The Lord delights in godly living like that. He delights in righteous living like that. The Lord records your thoughts. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 18. The Lord says, I know their works and their thoughts. Every holy thought of a saint is recorded and remembered by the Lord. Your thought life, as you process what's going on and you filter it through the, through the word of God. We were praying earlier today before the service began with our prayer group on Sunday mornings, and I asked the group, I said, I said, does anyone have any scripture memorized? Can you just say it over us right now? And just to hear just different verses that different people in the room had memorized and just praying that over us. The Lord knows your thoughts. 
He sees a righteous man and a righteous woman who's filling their mind with godly thoughts. Their desires, every holy desire is recorded and remembered by God. Psalm 38, verse 9, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. Talk about righteousness and devoutness. What are you longing for this Advent season? Are your desires being recorded by the Lord as holy? The Lord records your tears, Psalm 56, 8. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? It's interesting how many times the scriptures tell us that the Lord is recording something in a book about our life. He sees it all. All of your tears, all of your hardships, all of your suffering, every, every desire, he, he sees it, and the righteous person, the one who's filtering it through the word of God and submitting it unto God, he's seeing it all, he's recording it all. Their prayers, the Lord records the prayers of his people, not just the ones that are spoken out loud, but the ones that are privately said when you're on your knees in your prayer closet, he's, he's seeing that and recording it. First Kings chapter nine, verse three, I've heard your prayers and your plea which you have made before me. He says that to you, Christian. They're alms, an old-fashioned word. The works of mercy and love the Christians do to care for others, Christian and non-Christian alike, the way that you step into broken situations and because you're a Christian, you don't pass suffering by, but you step in with the love of Christ. He sees your alms. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, why have I gone over these with us? The great gain of godliness. Simeon was a righteous man and a devout man. And I'm trying to describe to you the kind of man that he was. Those six things, he knew that the, the whole of the life of the man is what made him righteous. It wasn't just attendance at a particular thing. It wasn't just saying a particular prayer at one point in his life. But it was the whole of the man, from his tears to his longings to his thoughts to his actions to his prayers, all of it is what made him a righteous man. And as we learn how to wait on God, we see a man, Simeon, who waited, we don't know how long, but you have to assume reading this text, it, it, you have the sense that he waited a long time, humbly, powerfully, how? Righteously, before God. Is that you today? Not one person in this room can claim a righteousness of their own, nobody. We, if you're a follower of Jesus, your story is that Christ's righteousness has been imputed to you. We've all fallen short of God's standard. Every one of us has broken God's, God's law, and every one of us is in need of salvation. But if you believe in Jesus, Christ's perfect righteousness is applied to your account. Think of an accounting book. His perfect righteousness is applied to your account. But then God begins the work of sanctification in you. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, the ability to make righteous choices, to think righteous thoughts, was given to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not to earn favor with God, but as a response under the covenant of grace to demonstrate your love of God for what he's done to you. You wanna wait on God? Be obedient to God. The flip side of that, by the way, is if there's a lack of obedience and righteousness in your life, you cannot claim that you're waiting on God faithfully. If there's ongoing sin, and 
and you're just not seeing prayers answered. You, you're, you're not seeing development. In your, well, the answer is the ongoing sin. I can't tell you how many times this happens where I'll be meeting with somebody and they'll be bringing all this hardship into their life. Maybe we'll meet two or three times. And on the second or third time, we'll get to a part in the conversation, I'll say, whoa, back the truck up. <laughs> you just shared something big with me. That's some significant sin. You should have told me that on the first time because then I would have known what the issue was. And the issue is until you root that sin out, we can't even talk about any of this because you'll be stuck. Are you living righteously before God? Number two, waiting on God requires being sensitive to the movement of the Spirit. You see it in there, verse 25 again. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now watch, the Spirit comes up again and again, verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Verse 27. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. What's going on here? Three times, Simeon is described as a man who's walking in the Spirit, who's led by the Spirit, who's been communicated to by the Spirit. Now, this is a bit confusing, actually, because the Spirit has not yet been given to the church at Pentecost. That won't happen until after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But here we have this Old Testament saint who's walking in the power of the Spirit. In fact, in the Old Testament, we see very often that the Spirit will be leading the people of God in one way or another, not in the same way that you and I have access to the Spirit. Isn't that amazing? You have access to the Holy Spirit as a New Testament believer that is even more profound than what Simeon had access to because the Holy Spirit's been given at Pentecost and you're a New Testament believer who's been saved by Christ and filled by the Spirit. So when I talk about the way Simeon was led by the Spirit, Know this, in some ways, you will be led by the Spirit, faithful Christian, in even deeper ways than Simeon was. Now, Simeon was a prophet, that made him unique, but you also have something unique. You have the, the baptism of the Spirit. And look at what Simeon's doing. He's, what does this mean? And he came in the Spirit, verse 27, into the temple. What does that mean? I've got a question for you. When you walked in those doors today, did you come in the Spirit? Did you walk into this place in the Spirit? Huh. Well, what would it mean for Simeon to walk in the Spirit? I have, I have a feeling that what it was is whatever he had done to prepare himself to walk into the temple, there was a sensitivity to him that his, his spiritual antenna were up that he could see what God was doing he was, he, was, he was sensitive enough to what God was doing that he could pick up on, a, 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 on, a, on something God was saying over here so that when God said, however God said it, that child over there, Simeon could say, that's the child I've been waiting for. We don't know if a voice told him what it was. We don't know how God did it, but his sensitivity was there. Now, this is very interesting not only do we see that Simeon is being led by the Spirit, but you know what other word comes up in here? And this is why the first two points are overlapping with each other. You know what other word comes up on repeat five times in this passage? The law of God. It's hard to see, but let me call it out to you. Verse 22, according to the law of Moses. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Verse 24, what is said in the law of the Lord. Verse 27, according to the custom of the law. Verse 39, according to the law of the Lord. 
So you've got Mary, who's doing all things proper according to the law of the Lord. Simeon comes in, spirit, spirit, spirit. And then you have at the very end, verse 39, according to the law of the Lord. Is this accidental? No. There's some interplay happening here about following the law faithfully and that then making you sensitive to the working of the Holy Spirit. Now, you might argue, well, okay, you've got Mary, who's a law person, and Simeon, who's a spirit person, and those are two totally different people. No, can't call that one. What happened to Mary back in chapter one? Mary, Luke chapter one, verse 35, and the angel answered Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will will be called holy, the Son of God. If you want to be a person who's sensitive to the Holy Spirit, it is more than following the law, but it is not less than following the law. The first point serves the second point. You have to be someone who delights in God's law, who is doing things according to the way that God has written it, and what that does is it then puts you into a place where you will then have faith developed in you to see the fruit of a life that's obedient to Christ, and that faith, according to Galatians chapter three, then blossoms into a sensitivity to the Spirit. Obeying God's commands and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit are two sides of the same coin. There's more to both of those on their own. But there is a mistake that modern Christians make, and it happens all the time, where there is an overemphasis on one side or the other of these two things. Some folks believe that you can be sensitive to the Spirit without any focus on righteous living or following God's commands. And there's entire movements within within evangelicalism which to me feel more like movements of emotionalism than being led by the Spirit. And the reason I say that is not to knock the movement, but to say if you're having an experience of the Holy Spirit that's big and wow, but it's not tethered to the law of God, doesn't seem like it's a movement of the Spirit. It actually seems like it's a movement of the wrong kind of Spirit. Because the Spirit will lead you to righteousness. At the same time, you can have such a focus on the law of God, we just remember this sermon, such a focus on the law of God that you lose the fact that the law, according to Galatians 3, is to, to develop faith in God to be, cause you to be led by the Spirit in power and in truth. In power and in truth. I was reflecting this week. Could you imagine... Remember the story in Acts where the Holy Spirit gets given to the early church? Can you imagine if that were to happen right now? Just, you know, I mean, that story, it's Acts chapter two, the Spirit comes down, 5,000 people come to faith in Jesus, like that. It's like, a, it's like Niagara Falls. Imagine Niagara Falls, just, whoo, Holy Spirit comes down. And everyone, the, the word is being preached and everyone is saying, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Well, you gotta believe in Jesus. Now what do I do? We'll get baptized. Now what do I do? We'll join the church. It's just happening everywhere. Huge numbers, a whole city being renewed. Could you imagine if that happened right now? I mean, just thinking about that, doesn't it put you in a place where you say, I wanna walk in the spirit I want to see what he's doing. The reason I had Dennis share this wonderful testimony is because I think Dennis exemplified this last week of a man who's walking in the spirit, sensitive. Okay, look what's happening. She, this woman who God's brought in my life is having a financial situation. You know what? I'm going to pray that God answers that. 
What bold Christian living that is. When you came in today, were you walking in the spirit? Number three, waiting on God requires waiting with a persevering prayerfulness. Waiting with a persevering prayerfulness. Verse 37, this precious woman, Anna. Uh, Verse 37 reads this. And then, so telling her story, verse 36, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and praying night and day. Can I have a side note right now? To those of you who are in the room who are older than... You want to throw a number out there for me? (laughs) (laughs) Older than cell phones. We'll go 50. For those who are older than 50. Simeon and Anna represent the way to finish well. There is a hunger for godliness in their life that is very compelling for Christians. And I specifically want to speak to you for a moment if you're over 50 years old in this room because this church, by God's grace, Park Community Church has a lot of young people in it. We're in the city of Chicago. And uh, actually this particular congregation, this church, actually has quite a lot of folks who are older than 50 years old. It's one of the blessings of Park Community Church South Loop. We're actually kind of unique in the church family and in the Park family. Um, But I want to say something to you if, if that is you. We're watching you, and your faith is setting the pace for us of what we will do when we're in our 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s, Lord willing. And what we want to be, the the younger people in the room who are chasing hard after God, what we want to be are the kind of people that are increasingly learning to give more and more away and increasingly learning to delight in prayer and increasingly being that person that has a gravity around them, that you come around them and you just go, oh, I got, I got, I got some years ahead of me still before I get there. And I just want to speak into your life right now. God can form you into that person. If that's not you today, and he wants to, us young bucks in the room, we need that example. We need godly men and women to lead us faithfully, to mentor us. We're going through a lot of stuff, and we need some, some gravity to hold us down. Now, secondly, I'll get off you guys now. Anna's story is really remarkable. Look at her. She's praying and fasting regularly. Now, now to be a righteous, faithful person does not mean that 24-7 your life has to be committed to coming into the church and praying and fasting. And, right? that, that's not the picture here. Anna had a unique life. She was a widow. Now, in those days, as a woman who was a widow, there was actually a very dangerous situation. Um, it was dangerous because the husband was not only the provider, but he was also the defender. There weren't police like there are now. There weren't alarm systems on homes. She was in a very dangerous situation. But also, it was very difficult for a woman to get a job that paid the bills. I mean, it, it wasn't kind of, there weren't the opportunities that there are in Chicago for women to make uh, money. And so, Anna committed herself to a life of prayer and fasting. And in our day and age, I think a lot of people would overlook a woman like Anna. 
they'd overlook her and they'd say, that's a bit of a wasted life. She didn't accomplish much, did she? She gave all that time to prayer and fasting. Little extreme. I don't think she missed out on much, do you? I get the sense that however shortly it was when she walked into the throne room of God, that she was very content with the life she lived. And there's something here about this beautiful life of prayer and fasting, which is an invitation to all of us this Advent to ask the Lord to take us to new places. Something I think God's been doing in my own life is, you know, you, I, what I found in my life is you go in these seasons where you learn, you learn new things and God takes you from where you were and then he brings you to a new place and then, and then you're good for a while and then he brings you to a new place and, and you learn and you gotta kinda get settled in. If you were always on this fast-paced growth, we'd just be exhausted. We would never, we, you don't have any time to sit, sit into it and, and learn. But I'm kind of in a place right now where I feel like God is, God is saying, Rafe, there's, there's another place of prayer I wanna bring you to. And I don't quite know what it means, but I know I'm hungry for it. I wanna experience more, and, I, and I'm so grateful for the places God's brought me as a man of God, but I know this, I don't wanna get stuck where I am now. I hope in 10 years that I look back on where I was then and say, I can see the growth that's happened in my life. And I wanna invite you this Advent are you hungering for a deeper prayer life with God? What is Christmas about? What, what are we doing with these candles? What, what are we celebrating? It's, we're celebrating the birth of Christ, the second person of the Trinity who came for us to, to forgive us of our sins and to give us the life that is truly life and to, to rid Satan from our lives and, and to be a blessing to our families. Over and over in the book of Acts, it's, the, the, the Philippian jailer believed in him and his whole household were baptized that day. Why? Because God works through families. And I want to live the kind of life where I'm increasingly growing in my prayer, in my fasting, in my, in my devotion to the Lord. Prayer is very simple. The, the New City Catechism, the catechism that we train our children on in this church, it says, what is prayer? That's the question. And the answer it provides is very simple. Prayer is pouring out our hearts to God in praise, petition, confession of sin, and thanksgiving. In other words, a life in some degrees like Anna, a prayerfully persevering life, ought to be normal among Christians. She persevered, didn't she? was a widow. It was very difficult. But here she is, just persevering, 84 years old, persevering, just continuing, not growing weary, but growing more, more fire, more prayer. That's a beautiful life. What causes prayerlessness among us? You know, I think probably many in this room right now are, are sensing a, a tinge of conviction right now. And, and the tinge of conviction you're feeling, and if it's not a tinge, maybe it's a big smack across the face. God has a way of doing both of those depending on where we're at. Is that there is a plague of prayerlessness in the church. I think we give a lot of lip service to prayer or we do very quick, just like, yeah, I prayed. Did, did you pray today? Yeah, I said a, I said a quick prayer I was, and I went on with my business. no. Was there like an Anna praying about you today? What causes a lack of that? Well, let me give you three reasons. Number one, three Ds so you can remember them. Some of us are delayed. You tell yourself prayer is an aspect that is sorely underdeveloped, but it's something you'll get around to later. You think, you know what? This is something that I just, I'm busy right now and I'm gonna get to it. 
I've got, a, I've got a mustard seed of faith right now. I've got some prayer muscles. They're just these little prayers, but at least I'm maintaining something. And I'll get around to really getting serious about that later. And you're delayed. And what I wanna say to you is what Paul said to the church that he wrote to. He said, who has bewitched you? Isn't that interesting language? Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? There's no getting around to it later. That our prayer lives are revealing the depth of our faith. Yes, we are gonna be growing over the course of our life, but if what you're telling yourself is I'll get around to it more of a relationship with God later on, the actual condition, what's going on is there's not much concern for God happening. That should scare you a little bit today. If you're saying I got this just enough right now, later on I'll get to it, oh, what is that old hymn we sing every once in a while? Says It says, if you tarry, if you wait until you're better, you'll never, you'll never come at all. If you tarry until you're better, you'll never come at all. If you're waiting for some day when it all makes sense and the kids are well behaved and everything is going just right, then you're gonna get on your knees and pray. That's not how the Christian life works. It starts today. You get on your knees and you pray. Some are delayed. Some of you are distracted. This thing has made our attention span uh, the, the data is interesting. There's a, wonder, a handful of wonderful books I've read recently on what's happened to our brains physically as a result of this in our pocket. And it's actually made us unable to pay attention to things. I see this in my own life when I'm writing sermons. I, I find myself about every 15 minutes or so distracted. I get into the zone, I'm ready to go, and, then I, and I'm tempted. I, I, I should, I'll click, let's see if there's a, another thing. To, where is that distraction coming from? And some of us were so distracted by what the internet has been doing to our brains that actually we, we actually don't know how to sit with God. We can't get more than eight minutes of alone time with God because 10 minutes with God feels like an eternity. Ooh, we're just babies in our faith. Babies. We're, we're not called to immaturity. We're called to maturity. We're called to grow. We're not called to be feeding on, on milk our whole life, but God's called us to the meat, to the bread, to the good stuff. We've got to fight that. You've got to find a way to fight this thing. And if it means getting rid of it, then get rid of it. Because you know what? God's more precious and he's more worthwhile than this thing is. Number three, some of us are deceived. For some of us, we don't pray because we don't feel we have any need for it. I was thinking of how to relate this to us. It's kind of like being, it's kind of like being a, a soldier on the beaches of Normandy on D-Day, thinking you're there for a day at the beach, not realizing you're at war. How foolish would that soldier be, strolling along the beaches of Normandy thinking he was there to suntan? And if you, if you don't think you have a need for prayer, that's you. You're that soldier. The scripture tells us we are at war. And all you gotta do is open your eyes like halfway to be able to see that that is what's happening against the church right now. You are being told a handful of lies. You're being sold it from every single way possible. One of the ways I blog and podcast as much as I do is not because I just wanna get stuff off my chest. It's because I know you need equipping because the wrong ideas are coming into your minds all day, every day, and I want you to know Bible, Bible, Bible. Just see the world through the Bible. Right? And, and, but what happens is that we get deceived and numb into thinking, we don't need prayer. I got this. I can take care of my family. I can take care of my kids. 
Just give it enough time, I'll find a way to get through to that person over there. Ephesians 6, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're waging a spiritual war. It's all a spiritual war, every aspect of it. And so I wanna call you up today. I want you to see the joy of Anna. Was her life worth it? You think when she got to heaven, to her eternity, she looked back and she's like, man, I really wasted my time. No, she didn't. What a precious life she lived. She committed to the Lord. By the way, you don't, you can be a, a banker and have this kind of prayer life. You can run a business and have this kind of prayer life. You can be a teacher and have this kind. You don't need to be a person who's, who's just re- retired and, and the only thing you do. You, you can be a stay-at-home mom and have this kind of prayer life. You are called to a meaningful prayer life. Let me ask you this. If you've never been trained how to pray, the way to get trained how to pray is to be around people who pray. We've got a handful of folks who are wow prayer warriors in this church. And a lot of them gather on Sunday mornings at 9.15 to 9.45 to pray over our Sunday, our Sunday morning. Prayer is typically caught, not taught. I can teach you classes on prayer. I can do that. But the, the deepest ways my prayer life has been changed is being around people who are more advanced than me in their prayer life and being like, I want whatever they got. I need to, think, now I can mimic them in my own prayer life. Number two, so come join us for that. That's the best way to learn how to pray. Secondly, if you have no desire for prayer right now, the only person that can change that is the Lord. The one thing you can do if there's no desire is begin to pray this prayer. God, give me a desire for prayer. I want a hunger for you. And he will respond to that. But you have to learn how to wait. How do you wait for him to answer that prayer? We wait with righteousness, obediently. We wait while we're being led by the Spirit and we wait prayerfully. We keep going before the Lord. Number four, waiting on God requires fixing our eyes on Christ. Let's not miss the centerpiece of this entire passage. Simeon, Simeon has been waiting his whole life. He's been promised, you will not die before you see the consolation of Israel. Weird word. Another translation of it is the Savior of the Lord. You will not die, Simeon, until you see him. And day in, day out, this older man is coming in maybe over years wondering, is this the day? I don't even know what I'm looking for. What, what am I looking for? Who is it gonna be? There was great confusion. Would it be a, would it be a king who came in? Would it, what was it exactly? If he was reading Isaiah 53, he should know it was gonna be a child, but did he know it was gonna be a child? We don't even know if he knew what he was looking for. Then he finally sees this little infant, 40 days old, just a little nothing, just in the arms of Mary like this. And he walks over. I've been waiting all my life to see that. And then he says in verse 29 to 32, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. He knew what that child would do. And at Advent, at Christmas, what we are celebrating is the birth of the Savior, the birth of the consolation of Israel. Do not miss the centerpiece of this sermon, the centerpiece of what Simeon is trying to point us to, the magnification, the exaltation of Jesus. He is a light to the Gentiles. What does that mean? The Gentiles are all the nations outside of ethnic Israel. That's 99% of the people in this room. 
all the nations outside of ethnic Israel who were locked in darkness, bound by Satan, until the coming of the consolation of Israel who would be a light to the Gentiles. And then the child came and he grew up and he died on a cross and he forgave our debt. And since the coming of the spirit, what's been happening? The gospel has been going forward to the nations, to the ethnicities, to the Gentiles of which you and I are a part of. We're a church primarily of Gentiles. And Simeon saw this back then. He said, I see what this child will become The nations are going to come to saving faith in God because of your life. And then he looked at Mary and he said, a sword will pierce through your heart, mother of Christ. Why? Because he's foreshadowing exactly what would happen. As sweet and cute as that little baby was, he'd grow to be a man who'd have to go to the cross. That child was born to die. The life of that child, above everything else he did, God in the flesh showing us the face of God, was meant, was sent by the Father to the cross in order to forgive you for your sin. Advent is about two things. On the one hand, we look backwards, and we look back to what Simeon saw, and we see the coming of Christ as the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. He is the hope that they waited for. And we look backwards and we say, God, you've come. You did away with it. You defeated sin, Satan, and death, and I am no longer my own. I've been purchased with a price. Make me a God-fearer. Make me someone who loves God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then Advent, we look forward. Because like Simeon, we're still waiting, aren't we? We're waiting for something different. Simeon was waiting for the Christ to come. Now, Christ has come, but what are we waiting for? Well, we've got some promises too, don't we? Jesus has promised that he will come again, and the next time he comes, he won't come as an infant. He'll come as a, as a king on a white horse, and he'll come with the, the sound, the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of Christ, the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will be raised first. And when he comes the second time, the promise is, is that he'll do away with all pain, all death, all sin forever, as he will institute heaven on earth. Simeon waited for his promise with a a faithful, righteous, obedient longing. And he was led by the Spirit. Every day he woke up and he thought, okay, God, is this the day? I'm hungry for it. Okay, it wasn't today, God. Tomorrow, wake up. Maybe this is the day. And then you know what? One day it was the day. And a faithful follower of Jesus is someone very much like Simeon who wakes up every day and says, Lord, you're coming back. The days are few. And I feel the weight of the hunger pains of a world waiting for God to come back. Is this the day? Okay, it wasn't today. Is it today? Is that hunger in you? Are you waiting this Advent for the promises of God to be fulfilled? How do we wait for those things? How do we wait? We wait with a righteousness. This shows that you know the promises of God and you're waiting well. You wait with a righteousness. You wait by the power of the Holy Spirit, sensitive to what he's doing around you. Number three, you wait. What was number three? You wait with a persevering prayerfulness. And then finally, you wait with your eyes fixed on Christ for it all centers around him. Will you pray with me? Oh, Father, thank you so much for this passage this morning. 
I thank you for Anna, Anna and Simeon and these precious lives, God, and I pray that you would take some lesson from them this morning and apply it into our hearts. Help us to be the kind of people that leave here changed. Help us to have our eyes lifted to Christ this Christmas. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.